Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's episode, we are going to be discussing eating disorders in athletes. To cover this topic, we are joined by Rasa Troop and Jenny Scherer. Hi, both. Hello. Hi. Rasa, you previously worked for the EMILY program. That's correct. And you are a registered and licensed dietitian. You have worked with an incredible amount of athletes throughout your career as well. You previously served as a dietitian for the Vikings, and you currently are a head dietitian for the Minnesota Twins. Prior to working with the Twins and the Vikings, you worked with the women's track and field and cross-country teams at the University of Minnesota for more than a decade, and you were also a dietitian at the EMILY program. How did you transition from the EMILY program to working with athletes? Um, as a dietitian, I was always a sports dietitian when I also worked at the EMILY program. It was a difficult transition, to be honest with you. And uh, given the population, athletes typically have a little higher incidence of eating disorders. So for me, I, I did the sports nutrition from the first days of being a dietitian, so it wasn't that difficult transition. Okay, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. In addition to your career, you are also an Olympic athlete and you hold the national record in the 3,000 meter steeplechase and the indoor mile in your home country. You've represented Lithuania and the world in European track and field championships, as well as in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. What was that experience like, the 2008 Olympics to be specific? Yeah, I think a lot of people do ask that question, and it's uh, very difficult for me to describe. Uh, It took me about 20 years to get to that place, and I trained since I was actually 11 or 12 years old in Lithuania. I guess I I shouldn't say I was serious at that time when I was 11, 12. I just picked up the track, but I I think it was culmination of a lot of um, pride in what my body was able to do. Uh, a lot of uh, emotions because I knew how many sacrifices I made on the road to be there. Uh, and I think the day prior to the uh, to the race, I went with my husband for a walk, and they actually broke down crying because culmination of all of these memories and uh, all of that work kind of finally um, transitioned into being in the place where I dreamed to be for um, for a long time. You've also went to the University of Minnesota, and you earned the All-American Honors in Cross Country, and you are the first University of Minnesota athlete to win the Roy Griek Invitational, as well as the program's first NCAA regional champion. When you were at the University of Minnesota, were you working as well, or were you just in cross country and doing student activities, so studying? Uh, at the University of Minnesota, I was only a student and uh, ran track. And I went to, uh, I, I basically after I graduated an undergrad degree, I went to study a graduate degree at the University of Minnesota in nutrition. Uh, and right when I graduated with a dietetics degree and master's in nutrition, I started working with uh, track and cross country, which was 2005. Was your undergrad degree at the U of M, was that also nutrition? Uh, the, the degree was in physiology with minor in biology. So I, I wasn't studying nutrition, but I think the physiology uh, really was helpful to get into the nutrition field and, and be successful. Was it a seamless transition to your graduate program in nutrition, or did that sort of come about differently? It was difficult. Uh, when I came to this country, I did not know English. So my grades in my uh, undergrad weren't that awesome. 
So I actually had to take one year off to volunteer to get some experience in my field so that some other activities or experiences will help me to enter the graduate school. So I would say the transition wasn't easy, uh, but nonetheless, I wouldn't change anything about it. Jenny. So on the other hand, Jenny Scherer is a former college and professional distance runner who also struggled with anorexia. Jenny received treatment and found recovery through the EMILY program from 2012 to 2015. She now enjoys working as a student athlete support services assistant, where she mentors and assists student athletes in their academics and identity, leadership, and career development. In addition, Jenny has experience coaching track and cross country at the high school and college level, and she passionately advocates for greater awareness of and education on eating disorders and athletes. Jenny, what led you to pursue a career with athletes? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think my experience as an athlete and kind of feeling like I had trouble finding mentors and um, people who helped guide me through when I was having issues as a college athlete um, kind of led me to dig deep and realize that I really wanted to pay it forward, kind of be the mentor and the person that I never had um, to be able to provide any assistance to student athletes. Um, that's been a big piece of why I want to do what I do. It's interesting. So you struggled with anorexia when you were in college, correct? Yes. How did that come about? Um, it, it is kind of an interesting story. I started out as a basketball player in college. Um, and when I joined the track team, they actually thought I was a sprinter. Um, because I've, I've always genetically had a muscular build. Um, unfortunately, that sort of played a role for me in developing some distorted thoughts about what I was sp supposed to look like as a distance runner. So that kind of played into things there. And then I think the other piece of it was me, um, once I started having success, I just wanted to be the best. Um, so that drive for greatness became pretty quickly an obsession um, mm -hmm. with running more miles. You know, a, a list of foods I could eat kept shrinking smaller and smaller. Um, things just sort of magnified and it became this cycle. Would you say that athletics affected your eating disorder negatively? For a while, yes, I think it did. Um, through most of college and then post-collegiately, yes, because I think um, in a hyper-competitive world that we're in, um, it can become pretty quickly about winning and a win-at-all-costs type of mindset to me meant, um, you know, it just spiraled into a lot of negative things. But I think one of the things that Rasa helped me out with um, when I was becoming into recovery um, was to think of food as fuel. And I think that's really what started to help me um, pull into recovery. So kind of interesting, it, it started off as negative, but I think it became more positive. So serendipitously, when I was planning this podcast about eating disorders and athletes, I had known Jenny previously, because she worked on the blog for us, and Rasa, you know Hilmar, and a ton of people here <laughs> who have all said great things about you. And it turns out that the two people that I pulled for this episode also were client and dietitian at the EMILY program. 
<laughs> Can you guys talk a little bit about what that relationship was like? I think the, um, the first and foremost in the relationship between client and dietitian is the establishing trust. Um, I think it typically, you know, if there's no trust, and uh, doesn't matter how much I have knowledge on nutrition or how to fuel your body, there's no way I would be able to help. So you, uh, as a dietitian, you kind of sit back and understand the story of, uh, of clients sitting in front of you and really trying to feel them or walk in their shoes. Um, so most of the time, the first few sessions, you try and kind of sit back, ask questions, be curious, inquisitive to understand where they're coming from. Um, And gradually you kind of establish trusting relationship where you can challenge the client more and more and uh, establish relationship where you can challenge, you know, eating disorder almost every single time the client comes into the appointment and celebrate the victories. So it's very close relationship and and it's sort of, uh, you know, many of my clients continue to be in my brain in some ways and <laughs> actually influence my, my behavior as well uh, because I feel very appreciative of all these experiences that I had. So it's not necessarily I always helping the client, but they also help me to see the things in different ways. Uh, and I would say I learn from the clients the most, uh, despite all of the books and research articles that I read. Uh, nothing can replace uh, the practical sort of work in the office that happens in the private and sort of trustfully relationship. Yeah, and I'll add, I think when I first came to the MA program, I was really scared. I didn't really know what to expect. And so to have Rasa there knowing that she had been an elite runner herself and she had walked in my shoes, um, that that level of trust that was sort of there right away um, was huge for me. And um, yeah, I think I think that was that was really helpful in initially. And then I think one of the other things I've always appreciated about Rasa is she's straightforward. Um, she, she doesn't sugarcoat things. And that's that's really what I needed. I needed to be challenged and I needed to be told that all the miles I was running and what I was eating, there was not enough, not nearly enough. And I needed to be told that right away. And um, so I, I always appreciated that about her too. <laughs> Going off the nutritional needs for athletes, Rasa, how does that differ in athletes versus non-athletes? Well, it, it, there are lots of differences because obviously the energy expenditure is higher. There's also a little bit of more of appetite suppression, especially after hard practices or workouts. So, uh, you know, athletes may not be able to do intuitive and mindful eating all the time compared to non-athletes. So there are times when I use prescriptive eating with athletes and non-athletes may use more intuitive and mindful approach. I, um, I also think there's difference in protein needs and difference in, you know, in general, carbohydrate needs and carbohydrate needs vary quite a bit depending on the training phase of the athlete. So, um, you know, I, I can list on and on the differences, <laughs> but most of those differences stay in my brain. Most of the time when I work with clients, I have those and I explain to the clients how practically a- apply that in their life. When you were in recovery, Jenny, did you want to continue running? Yes. Um, But I worked really closely with my therapist and with Rasa 
there were times when that either wasn't going to work or it was um, decreased heavily. Um, I think, so to answer your question, yes, I, <laughs> I wanted to. It's not always possible for that to happen. Um, but in my case, working with my therapist and dietitian, we made a plan for me. So you were able to still maintain running as something in your life post-recovery? I have, thankfully, yes. It's shifted a lot. Um, I, it had to. But it's a source of joy for me. And I think um, checking in daily, weekly with why I run and why I'm doing this is huge for me. And if it comes from a place that's anything but joy, happiness, um, social connection, anything, really any of those, then it's it's becoming unhealthy again. So I think for me, checking in um, about what running means to me is, is huge. When you first started meeting with Rasa, how often did you guys meet? Once a week. Was it once a week, I think? Once yeah. a week. <laughs> yes. Once and a week, yeah. Did you guys continue meeting for the entirety of your treatment, Jenny, or does that decrease as treatment goes on? What was your experience with that? I think we met weekly for probably two, three years. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think eventually it went to monthly, but we met weekly for a long time. Mm -hmm. Did you find that helpful to your recovery? Yes, it was essential, honestly, um, especially with trying to continue to run here and there. Um, it was really crucial to have someone who, again, had walked in my shoes, knew what what was happening and kind of the ins and outs of training and how that worked with fueling um, and just being able to check in with that weekly and make sure I'm not slipping up was really huge. Rasa, in your experience working with the Twins and Vikings, do they also have disordered eating concerns? They're not immune to that. I, I, I think we don't talk about it that much. And if you talk about baseball players or football players, football players have a little bit of a tinge of like binge eating. So it feels sometimes like that and even language that they use. Sometimes they joke about their bodies uh, in a way that feels a little bit disordered, uh, where they, you know, as a competitive athlete, they should be paying attention how they feel, not what they look like. And same with the baseball players. There's a, about 30 to 40% of guys that come from Latin America who have huge food insecurities. They come transition to this country and they gain weight very rapidly and most likely because uh, in their own, in their countries they ate what it was given to them and sometimes they did not know when the next meal comes and when they come here there's abundance of food and they are really lost and um, need support and need education of how to transition to this food abundance environment. Those athletes that struggle with food and body image at that high level of athletics, how do you help them in making sure that their eating's healthy? It's a complex question and very deep question, and it depends on the athlete. But most of the time, I ground myself in the place where I'm asking them uh, to change their nutrition to improve their performance because that's what motivates them. So I always try to figure out what really motivates them to come to my sessions. And sometimes they don't want to be in my session, to be honest with you, because they are, they feel that they can do it, they can do it without any help. 
And they may have a feel that if I seek help, I'm, that means that I'm not strong. But actually seeking help is a strength, not the weakness. And especially when we work with male athletes, the ones that struggle with food, they have a lot of shame and guilt related to it. And it seems sometimes even more shame and guilt or even talking to the dietitian or, you know, in some professional settings, I may be walking across the field with the athlete observing their practice. And even that can bring some thoughts or feelings to the athlete. So I try to be very private and discreet. You know, I still abide by uh, confidentiality. So I can't talk about anything <laughs> I talk with athletes, but people may see me in like competition arenas and they may assume certain things, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it brings uh, a little bit of a difficulty or challenge. But once you ground yourself and say, I am here to help you to be the best athlete, that you can be and the best human I actually I I address both of those for each individual athlete does health differ for them do their nutritional needs differ individually or is it all the same if you're performing at that high of a level different even if the athlete is the same weight and height the same position in sport or the same sport the nutritional needs will be different and also application of how those nutritional needs met are different. There's a lot of individuality and it brings a quite huge excitement in my, like I feel very blessed because it brings a lot of variability, a lot of challenges and how do I make it happen and in relations to their culture, to their sport, to their upbringing, um, it's very exciting. Jenny, you also work with student athletes. Do you experience any of them having disordered eating or body image issues, anything like that? Yes. Um, in fact, this just this past year, um, we've had a, a couple instances of basically part of what I do is meet with students on a weekly, sometimes biweekly basis, just checking in and seeing how they're managing their load of school and practices. and. Um, so in my experience, yes, it happens a lot more frequently than you might even think. Um, and again, to me, it's crucial when you're hearing kind of these distorted thought patterns that I've been able to pick out based on my experience in my education that you are able to notify you know, a coach, the sports psychologist on staff, someone who can assist you in trying to make sure that this student-athlete is okay. Do you think your experience with anorexia has made you more adept at picking that out in other athletes that are struggling and saying concerning um, things about their body or about what they're eating or certain aspects of their lives? Yes, definitely. Um, I would say even in a sense I may be hypersensitive to some things that go on and I might, something might um, trigger response in me that's may might be a little bit over the top but to me I'd rather be safe and proactive than than sorry again based kind of on my own experience where someone didn't intervene as as quickly as I would have preferred mm-hmm. so that's that's my experience coming um, into play there so question for both of you when those situations occur and when you're concerned about athletes, how do you address it with them? Do you address it with them or do you address it with the coach? 
Is it different if it's a student versus an adult athlete? If I picking up something in my appointments, I typically express my concern and try to um, educate them on what am I seeing. Uh, typically, you know, as a dietitian, I also, if there, there are a lot of red flags, I refer them to our uh, sports psychologists at the university or if there's sports psychologists in the community so that there is additional help or additional eyes to really uh, figure out if I'm picking up something that's truly there. Mm-hmm. But many times, uh, you know, my sense of sensing the eating disorder is pretty heightened. Uh, I didn't share with you, too, that I had an eating disorder as well when I was competing. So I also have some of that sense or some memories from the past that I can pick up some of those areas. And as a dietitian who works in that field, so most of the times my doubts typically are pretty on, but I want to make sure that the psychologist is involved. And if the athlete is open to share with the coach, but I have to ask athlete for permission, if they're okay for me to talk to the coach of what I'm seeing and what I'm concerned, uh, then I can. But if athlete is not okay and wants to keep it confidential, then I have to keep it confidential. How about with students, Jenny? Similarly, um, I try to address a little bit of what I'm hearing with the student athlete. Um, but again, I'm not a not been trained in mental health. I'm not a psychologist, so I know that it's kind of outside of my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm hearing things that I know might be distorted and might be problematic, but I have to find other people who can make sure they're helping that student-athlete as best as possible. And to me, that's referring to athletic trainers in some senses, but then even more importantly, I think um, psychologists, and, and in some cases, their coach usually as well. Do either of you have suggestions on how we can encourage healthy eating and healthy body image in athletes? My thoughts that we have to start focusing more what our bodies can do versus what our bodies look like and appreciate all of the small victories that our bodies are able to accomplish on the field, on the track, in the court, whatever your sport would be, celebrating your body, so what kind of uh, amazing physical things it can do, rather than actually looking into the outside shell or looking into the butt, you know, sort of the weights. Um, so that would be probably the first step for me, like how do we encourage all of even like little, uh, you know, little athletes that are in the early ages of sport to appreciate their bodies and to not be about the wins, but about effort and uh, sort of what they're able to accomplish with their uh, bodies because they're amazing. Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. And kind of that to me means trying to prevent as much as possible the comparison game where you're saying, well, athlete blank looks like this, why don't I look like that? And instead thinking about what you can do and what you're able to do with your own individual body and not trying to compare it with anybody else's. And that goes the same with with what they're eating too. I think it's so individualized, as Rasa said, you can't compare, you might need something more or something different than a different athlete and you can't be comparing what you're eating with what another athlete's eating. That doesn't do any good. You are both on teams as well. So how would you encourage teammates who are struggling to seek help? 
Typically, I would express my concern first and care that I care about you, but I see certain signs that are concerning to me. And I would say, if once I get, if, if it's very close teammate and we are very good friends, I would say, would that be helpful for you if you're going to come and see someone to talk about it? And sometimes I would even ask, and what would, who would be the person who you feel, tr- you know, who you trust that you can talk about? Um, and it could be that you know it's another teammate that she's able to talk, and then the teammate encourages her to help more broader help. But I think mostly con- expressing concern, care, naming some of the things that you've noticed that are concerning and doesn't seem like uh, it's normal or not necessarily normal. I hate that normal <laughs> word, but not necessarily typical for that person. Yeah, I would echo the same things. Just being there to listen, be empathetic, but then be able to kind of pinpoint some things that you've noticed that are kind of giving you some red flags. And then I think as best as you can be educated and know resources to point them to, um, whether that be, you know, here, the Emily program, the NIDA website, um, at the college level, know where the therapist, the um, psychologist's office is, that sort of thing. Just know what resources are out there so that when you're having that conversation, you can refer them pretty quickly to where you think it would be best for them to find help. That's really good advice for teammates, coaches, and even parents, too. I would imagine that would be helpful. So how does it feel sitting next to each other after you worked really closely together at the EMILY program for a few years? How does it feel now on the other side? I feel enormous proudness of where Jenny actually traveled from the first day when I met her to where she's at right now. And I feel so happy for you, Jenny, um, to be able to be in this place where you're at right now. Um, it always so, um, you never know exactly what impact are you making on other people. The, and the reason why I do this job is because I want to help. And uh, I want to, uh, I, I want people not to have that big of a struggle and being able to live their lives without thinking about what's the, what's the next meal or how many miles do I run so they can actually live their lives. And I feel enormous proudness um, and sort of, really proud of you and really, really um, happy where you're at right now. Yeah, and I feel just an enormous sense of gratitude. Um, BRASA and the Emily program, there's no way around sugarcoating it. It changed (laughs) my life, saved my life. Um, Without the resources here, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, So to me, it's just enormous sense of gratitude and um, yeah. Do you too think that having your own experience with an eating disorder is what pushed you to help others? For me, absolutely, yes. That's probably the reason why I chose that field because I struggled and I didn't get help. And I struggled for a long time until I actually get to the place where I was able to get help. Um, And half of my eating disorder was in Lithuania where it was really no help at that time or uh, no one really understood it, and they thought that was part of being an athlete. And um, so, yeah, I think the biggest reason why I'm in this field is probably my past experiences and struggles with the food and my body image. Uh, And I didn't want anyone to go through the same place that I was and then hoping to help more people who struggle, I guess. 
Yeah, and I think um, while I know that not everyone is in a place to share their story, when I was able to share my story, the amount of people that either reached out or it just, it really opened my eyes to how many people there are out there struggling. And so what I now do in my work and and perhaps what I hope to do in the future even more is just continuing to help raise awareness and prevent um, some of the struggles I had with not being able to find the right resources for concerns with body image, food, um, and exercise. So absolutely, my past experiences definitely have fueled my passion towards what I do now and hopefully what I'll continue to do for a long time. Before we wrap up this episode, is there anything either of you are excited about for the next year? I'm excited about Minnesota Twins. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also excited about uh, my kids. I have uh, almost 10 and almost 12-year-old kids. I think every single day they bring joy to my life, and um, and I'm excited to be part of the Twins organization. This is my first year being full-time, so I feel so far the season is going pretty well for the team <laughs> and hopefully to continue to be in that direction. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and I'm moving to a new city, um, starting a new position, and it's going to present a lot of new challenges and but really a lot of new opportunity and that's that's really what i'm excited about is to continue to work with student athletes and help them as best as i can and learn a lot and like rasa said before too you learn as much from the student athletes or the clients themselves as you do in any book or or in any edu- formal education so i'm really excited to continue to grow in my career Well, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us. Piecemeal is an Emily program podcast with new episodes out the first Monday and third Wednesday of every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about us at the Emily program, you can visit emilyprogram.com or find us on social media, all at emilyprogram. Piecemeal is hosted and edited by myself, Claire Holtz, with production help from Nancy Linden and music by Dan Forkey. As always, we wish you all the best.